Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm really looking forward to interviewing today's guest. It's Rob Greenlee. I want to tell you a little bit about Rob. He's a fellow executive coach, but he has really chosen to specialize in his coaching practice. Rob really likes to draw upon his own firsthand experience and lessons that he learned as a senior leader. And we're going to talk to him about that. Rob learned his, uh, earned his BA from Harvard College. He did his MBA at Yale, so I'm excited to hear about that. He's a certified professional coach and a certified physician development coach. So he has really found a niche with his leadership skills and his executive skills and has formed a company called Achieving Leadership. So Rob, welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. Hey, Deb. Thanks for having me. So happy to join you. I always love talking to a fellow executive coach because there's just not enough of us. And I'm excited to dive in and talk to you about the work that you do. And I know that you have really niched yourself, Rob, and have chosen to be an executive coach. And you have chosen to work with physicians and scientists. And I'd love for you to share with the listeners a little bit about how that developed and, and why you chose to work with those two populations. Sure. Sure, Deb. Well, you know, what's interesting is they actually chose me as opposed to me choosing them. They found me. I, I, I did uh, look at my own practice. I don't know, maybe it was about 10 years ago. So I, I read something about coaches, you need to eat your own dog food, woof, 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 type of thing. And um, so looked at who I had in my practice and saw that I had this bunch of physicians, about a half dozen physicians who were working in biotech and pharmaceuticals. And I realized that I liked them a lot and they liked having me as their coach and um, realized that was a, it was just a really good fit. Now, I love looking at stature and let's call it a, a multitude of initials after someone's name. Why is it so difficult for a physician to graduate and they land up in either a leadership or management position? Why do you think they struggle to lead a team, yet they're so strong with the technical skills? Mm. Wow. I think because they're so well-trained as physicians, to be a doctor means you need to be the expert in diagnosing what the patient brings in, and you give the prescription as well as the diagnosis, and you also are the leader of the team. So you're directing the nurses and the medical assistants, but it's very achievement oriented. Very much the doctor is the center of the universe. Um, one of the things that 
when I was first working with physicians that I remember telling my clients was that when you're a physician, people make appointments with you and they come to your office and you have your, your day filled with people who want to see you. And physicians who like go into organizations or who start become promoted to be a manager of others sort of have that mindset where others should, should come to them. And that's not really how it works. You have to be going to other people. You have to be going to where other people are living and, and to understand how they're thinking and not expect them to be coming to you. So I think it's, it's just it's how they've been oriented in, in their job. Oh, I fully agree with you. And I remember growing up and hard work was based on not only the stature you brought, but working to the point of exhaustion. Huh. And I'd love for you to kind of chime in and give kind of your professional and personal opinion on that. Do you think we've made some headway? And do you think people are starting to realize that they don't have to be a generalist, that they can take a preventative approach? I sure do hope so, Deb. Um, yeah, the, there's the idea of I am the busiest person on the block, and that's almost like that's that's a sign of success. Um, and that is not necessarily a sign of success. You know, Deb, th uh, let me let me step back for a minute. Um, I I was very lucky when I was an undergraduate at Harvard to study with this guy David C. McClellan. He's considered the father of human motivation. And, and he talked about um, what drives us in the workplace are three key motives. He called it achievement, affiliation, and power. And achievement is about wanting to get things done and be efficient and, and sort of maximize every minute of your day. And I think that, that people who become successful, like physicians or scientists or those who, who go to selective universities, that's what got them there, and that's what keeps them uh, uh, going, and that's what they've been sort of oriented toward doing. But when you actually are in a leadership position, you need to look more about power and influence and impact and, and understanding the relationship you have with others more than just the achievement you yourself are going to do. Well, and it bring, you just segued lovely into my next question. So those high achievers, they have the astuteness, they have the intelligence, they may not have the fostered or developed heart-centered or emotional intelligent qualities they need. How do you transform someone that has the intelligence into the leadership so they can be influential but approachable? Right. You know, I always start with what the person wants. They have to have a goal uh, that they are aspiring toward for them to go through the work that it takes to change their habits or to change the way they're thinking. So I always start with that. What's their dream of success, uh, their dream of the life that they want? And then once we identify that, uh, if they are a high achiever, and I say, all right, let's figure out a way to achieve that goal of that life. And then we work backwards about what's it going to take to get there. And if they have typically been achieving and they have been paying attention to relationships and the impact they're having on other people, then, then we look at that as a way of uh, changing the way they think when they go into a meeting or they go into uh, uh, interacting with other people. When they're 
when it used to be when we were meeting in person, uh, before your hands on the doorknob, before you open the door, turn the doorknob to walk in, what is it that's going through your mind as you're going to uh, talk to people? And to what extent do you focus on the outcome goal and the outcome of a good relationship having impact, helping the other person have the better life that uh, you hope that they want? so that you can be a more effective leader? Well, and I think, you know, common sense isn't always common practice. And I think because someone is a physician or a specialist or a scientist, I think there's a misunderstanding and and I think information easily gets misconstrued. And it's kind of like because they have that stature or that level of, let's call it Ivy League education, because I want to spin off from this question, that they know everything about everything, yet you spend the majority of your time working with these doctors or scientists, helping them become a manager, and then transform transforming them into a leader. How do you go through that process and how easy is it to break down kind of that, I'm going to say miscommunication or misunderstanding that just because there's initials after their name doesn't mean that the leadership is fostered. Yeah. Wow. I think part of what you're getting at is this idea of being vulnerable. And I I think most physicians, uh, that I start to work with don't like that feeling. I guess most people don't like that feeling. I don't like that feeling. And uh, I've learned that that's a really important part of effective leadership is putting yourself in a place where it's okay to have your full self show up. So what I do is when I work with my clients, uh, besides figuring out where they want to go, I also, look at what, how they are thinking about the situation and also to pay attention to what they're feeling about the situation that they're in. So that if we think about feelings are data, because the people I work with are physicians or scientists. And oftentimes, I, I just know when I first started working in corporate America, uh, we weren't supposed to talk about our feelings at work. And yet I find the, my feelings are really an important indicator of how I'm going to make a decision or it tells me a lot about the situation that I'm in. So helping them to pay attention to their thoughts and to change what is going on in their, in their, in their minds as they are in any situation, but also paying attention to their feelings and saying, what does that tell you? Well, it's interesting because that's the space that I like to stay in and coach from is that whole habits of thinking and and metacognition, how they think about thinking. Mm. And it's been interesting with the COVID-19 pandemic because I've had leaders say to me, I've had to be more open. I've had to be more vulnerable. Mm. I've, I've had to say, I don't know. I've had to further model self-care because there's been some difficulties with the remote working and boundaries and employees fearful if they're not working enough, they may lose their jobs and just that whole 
apprehension and fear of where are we going with this? Because the leaders have nothing to compare it to. It's not like they can say, okay, we're going to do what we did. Well, the last pandemic was a hundred years ago and nobody was alive to convey, hmm. to convey our preparedness plan. So when I think about the VUCA model and what COVID-19 has presented with us, the volatility, the uncertainty, the complexity, the ambiguity about it. What have you seen within your specialty with physicians and scientists? What have been some of the challenges since March 11th that you've had to coach them through that you can share with us? Mm. Well, I can, I can share one, one particular situation uh, because I'm not going to talk about which particular client it is, but it is a senior leader in a, in a bio, biopharmaceutical company. And one of the decisions early on was to what extent uh, should he keep the employees in the location um, coming into work or to what extent do they, do he and the team send people home or to what extent do they keep certain experiments going and uh, there, was, there was no right or wrong answer about that. Um, I, I, I just, one, one aside, I remember when, when I was at uh, uh, Putnam Investments, because uh, I had this, um, I had 20 years of working inside large companies, and I was promoted to be the Chief Administrative Officer for Human Resources at Putnam. And my first senior team meeting, I remember we were talking about what do we do about one of the uh, well-known account managers, portfolio managers, who was not having some good performance that quarter? Do we keep him? Do we let him cut him loose? What, what, what's the steps to take? And I was just so amazed that nobody around the table knew what the answer was because there wasn't necessarily the answer. We had to figure that out. And so with this situation of what to do with COVID, changing everything, if they let everybody go home, then you have these experiments with animals that get cut short. And that impacts the, the timeline to get medications that could save lives for the future. But then you, if you have people keep coming in, at that time, we really didn't know how bad it was going to be. You have people who might be at risk for getting a, a life-threatening disease, and so, which whichever way you look at it, there's going to be threatening of some life, and um, ultimately, it was a decision that he and the senior leaders at that site made, and they took, I think, maybe you call it the more conservative, and for them at that time, it was a more radical step to shut the whole thing down. And it turns out that really was the right thing to do. But at the moment, it, it, no, nobody really knew whether it was the right thing or not. But having that courage and having that moment of, uh, like you said, I don't know, but together we're coming up with what we think is the best decision. And that's, that's, that's really hard. Well, I think it's hard, but I also think it's brave. I think it's uh, an openness, again, back to vulnerability. And I think it's a dedication to themselves to kind of exude that whole foundational language of emotional intelligence. And they become better managers and better leaders. And like you said, you, you take that transformation of that smart professional and, and you turn them into not only 
the best high achievers that they already are, but more of that influential leader. Right. And I think it's, it's hard for them. It's almost like the unlearn, relearn model, which is interesting and leads me into my question about, I mean, you've gone to some Ivy League schools for your education. How heavy weighted are those physicians and scientists that come out of those types of schools that are very, very hard to get in. It's extremely competitive. And I mean, they're already coming out with the badge on their chest of high achiever before they even land in their first job. So how hard is it to kind of reshape and, and help them relearn that it's not, it's not just about the education that you've achieved, it's about what you're gonna do with that education along with their personality. Yeah. That's a great question. I think people who have been high achievers that have gotten into the IVs and are on the road to success feel that they have done it. That's all they need to do. They've earned the right to show up and just be their expert selves and everybody should be listening to them. And I myself, uh, with some of that background, had to relearn these things. And I think the best way to learn is to have something that doesn't go well, to fail in some way. And um, what, I, what I found for myself, what I find with my clients is that when they first fail, it's really hard because you're used to getting all A's and, and, and being the uh, president of the debate club or captain of, of something, then to be in a place where you're, doing what you've always done but you're not necessarily succeeding that's um that's the moment to pause and say what's what's this all about uh and i find that people are addicted to the good grades the 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 getting the checklist and life is not about the checklist life is really about uh searching i think for what is meaningful for you and helping others get meaning in their life. I, I, I love it when I'm able to help an individual or group reach their potential. There's a joy that comes from that, but that's not me achieving things. That's me helping others. And I think that's, that's what the, uh, the, some of my fellow IV uh, physicians and scientists and colleagues in, in general are needing to learn. And the people who have learned it, it's almost like you've gotten a whole release on life because it's no longer about I've got to, I've got to get that, I've got to get that A, I've got to get the check mark, or else I'm a, I, 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 I risk being a failure, and I've never been a failure, and I'm always fighting against that. So having the, uh, having the opportunity to be okay when you're, when, when you're not um, always getting the, the check marks. And, and really measuring your success on a check mark or a task or an achievement or stature. It's so interesting, Rob. And it, it makes me think of wanting to kind of turn this the other way. And how, how much do you love working with accidental leaders? Because I have to tell you, they're my favorite because they have soft skills that are so natural to them. They lead with it and then they land up in these accidental leadership positions. And I'm often 
question and they're like, Deb, like, do you really think I should be doing this? And I always say, it's not up to me. Someone sees in you what you don't see and the technical skills can always be trained. So I would love to hear you weigh in on this and, and what experience you've had with accidental leaders. I love the way you just you you, you describe that group, accidental leaders. I just I, I love that concept. Um, I think in many ways they are the best leaders because, as you said, someone has seen something in them. They weren't necessarily bred or groomed to be at the top, and yet it's their what they say or do or think about is recognized. Um, I have heard somewhere along the way that actually the best leaders are the people who others um, nominate and they say, this, this is the person I trust, this is the person I wanna follow. And it may not be the person who is, um, has the credentials. I know um, I had done some work with the US Navy. Uh, I'd spent some time with different ships and air squadrons and submarines. Um, some were the outstanding battle winners and some were the average commands. And what was interesting, you have the junior officer who has the college degree, who has the, you know, the rank of lieutenant who comes in and is in charge of the chiefs or the other enlisted men and women. And yet the chief or the enlisted men and women really know more what, about what's going on and the chiefs are the ones that really are leading the situation and needing to help the lieutenant to figure out how things really get done as opposed to how he or she thinks things are supposed to be getting done because they have that 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 uh, credential of coming out of the navy academy or 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 rotc or something like that well it makes me think of the name of your business achieving leadership and I have so much respect for the accidental leader because whether it be their upbringing, their education, their social exposure, emotional intelligence just comes so easy for them. And I think that they execute and demonstrate their inner genius just so innocently. And when influential leaders notice that in someone else, I think that they couldn't foster or exercise their leadership any better than mentoring and making that accidental leader a leader. So I fully agree with you. Yeah. And I just have to say, I think that you mentioned emotional intelligence. What's so interesting is that you compare people who ha are, have really good emotional intelligence with those who have the classical IQ intelligence and the better leaders always are the ones with the better emotional intelligence. Well, we always do better with uh, leading with a logical mind than an emotional mind, right? So it's, it's such an interesting conversation. We, we could talk about this all day. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now, um, uh, go ahead. I was, just, I was just thinking about the parts of emotional intelligence, being aware of yourself, being able to manage your own emotions, being aware of others and helping to influence them. It's, yeah, those are basic things that so many smart people don't know. And I know for myself, learning to recognize my own emotions and, and what is, uh, we were talking earlier about uh, emotions are, uh, provide information for us. And yet 
when I was growing up thinking about getting good grades myself, I wasn't really thinking about the emotional aspect of things. And yet emotions are, provide data. And it's funny because when we both grew up, it, it, it wasn't of our time. And now I agree with you. I think people that have high EQ have amazing leadership careers. I'm not saying the people that have high IQs don't, but it's just, it's very interesting to sit back as an executive coach and see the difference. Right. And I, uh, I was interviewing a scientist and we got into a great conversation about artificial intelligence. And I said to him, but you'll never find me a robot with soft skills. And we, <laughs> just, we just had a laugh about that, right? Because even though technology continues to expand at such an exponential rate, it's, it's never going to have the emotional intelligence. It may be productive, but we're always still going to need to be intrinsic and have the people first. Well, that gives me hope for us for the future. Absolutely. There's humans, not, there, humans will still be relevant. Yes, there, there's not enough of us. Now, I like to end my podcast with what I call the Fab Four, and these are just four fun questions and they're the ones that you don't get to think about rob it's like whatever's on the top of your mind okay so the first question is if i gave you a time capsule and i asked you to put items into it to represent 2020 thus far mm. what would what would you put in it wow 2020 mm. well i'd certainly have to put things about the pandemic and maybe what we've learned about it. Maybe it'd be some videos or news articles about spread, how things spread and how so many people miss the opportunity to take interactions early. But I also want to have some documentaries about uh, Black Lives Matter and the whole social justice. And hopefully I would bring some videos or articles about the end of the year and how much we've we've learned uh, in the United States and around the world about how every life matters and how we can uh, uh, keep that keep that in mind. Absolutely, we've we've certainly had a lot for the first six months of 2020. So that would certainly be a nice cross section of uh, delivery to to revisit in the future. If you were coaching a younger version of Rob, what advice would you give him? Mm, I'd tell him to breathe. Keep breathing. <laughs> oh, I'm a yoga teacher, so I love that. Breathing, All right. breathing is paramount. That's, you didn't even have to think about that one. No. That was right on the tip of your tongue. Yeah, just how, breathe. <laughs> how, how would you define success and what does it mean to you? Success to me is when you're happy and also making an uh, impact in the world, the combination of both of those things together. And to me, that's the greatest joy in the world. If you can do something that satisfies you, but also makes the world a better place. I can't think of anything better. Absolutely. And I, I love that. I love that you put happiness in the forefront and really making a difference in people's lives. And it's interesting because it's your personality, it's your business, and just getting to do that every day is, is super rewarding. So I agree with you. Terrific. If I were to reach out to your family or your friends and I asked them to describe Rob in one word, what would they tell me? Ooh, in one word. Hmm. I hope they would say wise. 
Well, you know, I can follow up with that because I, I do know a member of your family. So I'm going I'm I'm to have to confirm that now. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, Rob, I just uh, really want to thank you for your time. I know you're busy. Um, the next time I'm in the Boston area, I'm definitely going to call you. And I just really want to wish you well and please continue doing the work that you're doing with physicians and scientists because it's needed and helping them transform from a doctor to an influential leader is just so imperative. And I love how happy you are doing it and just wish you continued success. Thank you, Deb. It's been such a privilege for me to join you today. And, and I want to give you a blessing of continued success with your accidental leaders and helping to uh, foster them and foster the emotional intelligence of all the leaders that you work with. I can see how, why you have such a good practice. Thank you. I'd like to end the podcast with kind of my five things that I think are just how to live an enriched life. Follow your heart, have passion, do your best, know your truth, and be in love with the journey. This is Deb Crow. Thanks for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast.